I'd like to begin tonight with a Bible reading. If we can turn to Romans chapter 8, that deals with the topics that we're dealing with tonight in a most graphic way that Paul has. Romans chapter 8. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature or the flesh, as some versions have it, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful man, or again, the flesh, to be a sin offering, and so he condemned sin in sinful man, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the sinful nature or the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what the, that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of the sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised up Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it's not to the sinful nature to live according to it, for if you live according to the sinful nature, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live, because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. Now if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Welcome, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. You're now in the house of your Father, the Lord God. Tonight our theme is the two main themes of that portion of Scripture, flesh and spirit. Those are often seen in contrast with one another or in contradiction to each other, and rightly so, because sometimes the word flesh is used in a way that does contradict the work of the Holy Spirit, or is in contradiction to it. But you know, we're all human, at least I assume so, and therefore we have both flesh and spirit. And therefore, within each of us is both flesh and spirit. Because you see, the word flesh sometimes carries the meaning of the physical part of man. In chapter 2 and verse 27 and 28, 2, 27 and 28, the one who is not circumcised physically in the flesh, yet obeys the law, will condemn you. Who, who, even though you have the written code and circumcision, are a lawbreaker. A man is not a Jew if he's only one outwardly, 
nor is circumcision merely outward and of the flesh, physical. No. A man is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. The physical part of man is this referred to in Scripture and by Paul in Romans as the flesh. But that's not the primary use of the term. He also uses it to speak about human descent in Romans chapter 1 and verse 3. He says regarding the Lord Jesus, regarding his son who as to his flesh, his human nature, was a descendant of David, but through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God. That human descent, we're all descended thanks to the flesh from parents who exist thanks to the flesh and it goes on from generation to generation that's part of life chapter 9 and verse 3 makes reference to that human descent chapter 9 and verse 3 I could wish I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers those of my own race my flesh the people of Israel theirs is the adoption of sons there's the divine glory the covenants the receiving of the law the temple worship the promises there's are the patriarchs and from them is traced the human ancestry the flesh of Christ who is God over all forever praised amen yes even Christ in his humanity shares our flesh he knows what it's like to be a human sometimes it's used in a more general sense for mankind chapter 3 and verse 20 Paul refers there to no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law rather through the law we become conscious of sin humankind in verse 19 whatever the law says it says to those under the law so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God we're all human flesh all mankind is accountable to almighty God sometimes it's used for human nature the things that we as humans do automatically, not necessarily on a physical level, but sometimes it includes on the physical level. In chapter 6 and verse 19, for example, I put this in human terms because you're weak in your natural selves. Just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and ever-increasing wickedness, now offer them in slavery to righteousness leading to holiness. Yes, our human nature led us to certain behavior and made us susceptible to certain temptations that perhaps we would rather not have been susceptible to, but they're there because we're human. It is natural for men and women to be attracted to each other. It is natural for men and women to find limitations on what they can do and what they can even think about, anticipate, how they can behave. It's all part of being a human being, being a human living in a world that is so open to testing us in different ways. Romans chapter 8 and verse 36. Romans eight thirty-six. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Why? Because we're humans. 
He has a plan for us. He was, he was the, the firstborn, according to verse 39, among many brothers. We are part of that human nature. Chapter 4 and verse 1. What shall we say then? That Abraham, our forefather, discovered this in this matter? Abraham was a human being just like us. When a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. But a man who doesn't work but trusts God, who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. And David speaks the same thing when he talks of the blessedness of the man in whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are they whose sins are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. That blessedness comes to us because we're part of that human nature. But sadly, that human nature, to a large degree, is dominated by the unregenerate side. Yes, in chapter 8 and verse 4. Chapter 8 and verse 4. Paul speaks about the sinful nature. It's the exact same word. Those who live according to the flesh. God sent his son in the likeness of sinful man, human nature, to be a sin offering. So he condemned sin in, sin, in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature the unregenerate nature, but according to the spirit. Because those who live according to the sinful nature, and that's where it comes in. Our human nature, if that's what dominates our lives rather than the spiritual, then we are going to live out our days under the judgment that God offered as a result of Adam's sin. Right at the very beginning, Adam did what human nature said to do. After all, eating? What's sinful about that? We don't know whether it was an apple on the tree or not, but when his wife offered it to him, oh, that wife's good at offering us food. They do most of the cooking in most of the homes. And so it was natural for Adam to eat what his wife prepared for him and offered to him. But it wasn't what God wanted. God had already told him not to eat the fruit of that tree and he knew full well that he ought not. But, regrettably, his decision was influenced by a power that was so natural, so normal, and yet so devastating to the human race. You see, don't you know, brothers, Paul says in Romans 7, 1, I'm speaking to men who know the law, that the law has authority over a man as long as he lives. Yes, there is a corruption that has already set in because we decided to follow the desires of the flesh rather than the spirit of God's direction. 
And so, our human nature was corrupted by sin and continues to corrupt us. So that if we do the things that we want to do, and not necessarily the things that God wants us to do, we will find that we are coming under judgment and condemnation because that is living according to the flesh. And that is not what God calls us to do. He doesn't call us to live just the way our latest impulse impresses us. You see, living according to the flesh means being directed and guided and influenced and impelled by the influences that our body and the appetites of our body exercise over our minds and over our spirits. We're corrupted. Ah, but there's an answer. Look at Romans chapter 6 and verse 6. Romans 6, 6. We know that our old self, our flesh, was crucified with him so that the flesh, the body of sin, might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Oh, God's got the answer. Crucifixion? Sounds like a pretty gruesome answer. But Christ was the one who endured the crucifixion for us so that we don't have to. And he carries it, the sin nature, to the cross and nails it there. And he says, now you're free. You can now live by the Spirit and in accordance with the Spirit and on a spirit level, not on the simple level of responding to your human appetites. You have, have become different. You're not the same as once you were. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, Romans 8, 12. It's not to live, it's not to the sinful nature to live according to it, for if you live according to the sinful nature, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, something else is going to happen. What's going to happen? You will live, yes. You will live. That's God's plan. And it doesn't end there. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are Sons of God. We don't just live and endure life upon earth. <laughs> we become part of the very family of God. You see, God by his grace and by his work within us has done something that we could not do for ourselves no matter what. If Christ is in you, Paul says in 8.10... Your body is dead because of sin, but your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Oh, my dear friends, we're looking forward to a great event. Even if we die, there's something beyond that the resurrection of the dead and living on in the power of the Holy Spirit forever and forever and forever and forever. My dear friend, the grave is not the end for any one of us. We may be getting older, we may be getting weaker, we may be getting more frail, but they're just milestones that we pass on the way. They're just symptoms of what's going to one day happen and then we are going to be with the Lord forever and forever, rejoicing in the fullness of life and strength. 
My dear friends, some of us look back to our, 90, uh, to our 20s and 30s and we think, oh boy, if, all, uh, if only I had that kind of strength again today. My friends, you're going to have more. Yes. <laughs> you're going to have a whole lot more because the flesh doesn't tell the end of the story. God quickens. I, I like that old word, quicken. We talk about bringing life and we think of just ticking over. But quicken, that old English word, that gives the impression that something more is happening, that life is coming to every part, that we are able to be quick. We're able to do things. We're able to accomplish things. It's a pity we've lost that word from modern English in that old sense. But there it is. God quickens us. And suddenly what we thought we were so slow in old age. Wow. Do you think of things unexpectedly? And you think, I never thought of that. Why am I thinking of that? Because God is quickening your mind. And suddenly, you're moving from one thing to another according to God's revelation. And I'm quick. I'm not slow. God is working in you by his spirit. But you have a spirit. The spiritual part of man that we read about in verse 10 your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. Yes, that's, that's one of the references to the human spirit that's here in Romans. But it's one of the few references because most of the time when, he, when Paul talks about the spirit, he's talking about the spirit of God or the effect of the spirit of God on our inner man that makes our spirit correspond with his spirit and with his desire for our lives. Yes, from verse 11 through to 13, here in Romans chapter 8, he talks about the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. He'll give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit that lives in you. If we have an obligation, not to the sinful nature to live according to it, not to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit, that's the interaction between His Spirit and our Spirit. By the Spirit, you put to death the misdeeds of the body you'll live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Oh, my dear friend, He is the one who brings life in all its fullness to every part of our being. He is the Spirit of God. He has many titles here in Romans. Paul uses many different phrases to refer to him. Look, for example, at Romans chapter 1 and verse 4, where he talks of him as the Spirit of holiness. It was through the spirit of holiness that he was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead. You know, we, we tend to think of holiness in the very appropriate religious terms that it's used. But it also carries the connotation in Greek of wholesomeness. The spirit that brought Jesus to life quickened every part of his body that had been laid in the tomb. Nothing was left behind. Nothing was missed out. And that same spirit of holiness will bring wholesomeness, a wholesome quickening, a wholesome life, a wholesome penetration into every part of your being. Not just 
the religious part, not just the Bible study part, not just the prayer part, but every part. Because holiness means that we're living by the Spirit on every level. Whether we're dealing with our kids, whether we're dealing with our spouse, whether we're dealing with our neighbours, our bosses, our friends, in the shop, the spirit of holiness makes us wholesome in every area. So there's no part that's missed out. Oh, if only God's Holy Spirit would help me in this area or in that area. But no, he wants I'm struggling on my own. Oh, no, you're not. You have the spirit of wholesomeness that penetrates every part. Every, the whole man, the whole woman, in every relationship and in everything that you do, he wants to energize. He wants to bring life. He wants to direct you. He wants to enable you so that you can do the will of God no matter what it is you're involved in. That's God's plan. That's God's plan. That's what the spirit of holiness here in Romans signifies. I know we've become very religious and we've tended to restrict it down until it applies to a very narrow part of human life. <laughs> That's not what the Bible does. Oh, no. The Bible applies it to every part of human life to the broadest possible level. The spirit of holiness. What a life to live. What a life to live. Yes, he is the spirit of life. In chapter 8 and verse 2, he's explicitly called the spirit of life. In chapter 8, verse 2, through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Yes, he's the spirit of life. Every part. He brings life to every part of our being. He's also the spirit of Christ. Verse 9. You are not controlled by the sinful nature, but by the spirit. The spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. You see, it is the Holy Spirit who makes us exactly like the Lord Jesus Christ. He knows what all the characteristics of the Lord Jesus Christ are. And when he directs you in a particular way to behave in a particular fashion, it's because he knows that that's exactly what Christ would do. Yeah. A century ago or more, there was a, a theme gripping the church. What would Jesus do? It re-emerged at the beginning of this century and a lot of people began to wear little uh, bracelets or armbands with just the letters on. WWJD. What would Jesus do? Oh, my dear friends. Ask him. The Lord, the Holy Spirit, knows exactly what Jesus would do and if you obey him and do what he wants... You will do exactly what Jesus would do in any given situation. Doesn't matter what you're facing in life. What would Jesus do? Let the Holy Spirit direct you. Let him guide you. And you will do what Jesus would do. You don't have to worry. Mm, I wonder if Jesus would have behaved like that. I wonder if he would have reacted like that. If you were responding to the Holy Spirit in that situation... You know what he would do because the Holy Spirit directed you to do it. And he is, of course, verse 14, the Spirit of God. God is the omnipotent, eternal, everlasting, omniscient, knows everything. That's what he is. 
Those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Oh, my dear friends, God knows everything and he can do everything and he can live and will live forever. And so will you. The Holy Spirit is the one who will make sure of that. He's not going to lead you into something that will bring about your eternal destruction. No. He, in fact, imparts life because that's the work of the, the, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. Verses 4 through 6 of this same chapter, we read it already, but let's read it again and remind ourselves that in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit, those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind of the sinful man is death. But the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. Oh, yes. You want, you, you want peace in your heart, peace in your soul? You want your heart to be at rest? The Holy Spirit is the one who does that. He imparts life in all its fullness to you and to me. Because that's his nature. He has come to bestow upon us the freedom that belongs to the children of God. Chapter 8 and verse 2. Through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. We're no longer in bondage. Once we thought we were. Once we couldn't help ourselves. Once when temptation reared its ugly head. We thought, oh no, not again. Here I go again. No. Now you have the Holy Spirit living in you. He's made you free. You don't have to do those kind of things. Or you, you can choose to do that, and tragically some people do. But you don't have to. You can do something different, something new, something revolutionizing something that you never even imagined and God by his Holy Spirit is working in you and working in me chapter 7 and verse 6 but now by dying to what once bound us we've been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code we're not under the old law and the old way because it's the Holy Spirit who is sanctifying us. To sanctify means to make us holy in God's sight. Romans 8 and verse 5. Romans 8, 5. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The very mind that controls so much of our actions is transformed and cleansed by the Spirit of God. He's the one who's working in us according to his will. Yes, the sinful mind is death. The sinful mind is hostile to God. But the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. Those who are controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. But you're not controlled by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you. Yes, God is working in you according to his will by the Holy Spirit who sanctifies you and makes you think and act differently. Look at chapter 15 and verse 16. Chapter 15 and verse 16. 
God called me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Yes, made pure, made holy by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God makes us what we could not make ourselves. Oh, we might try, and we probably have tried many times, and it just doesn't work. But he does. He can do for us what we could never, ever do for ourselves. He also directs us as sons of God. Look back at chapter 8 again. Chapter 8 and verses 13 and 14. 8, 13 and 14. If you live according to the sinful nature, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you'll live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Oh, yes, my dear friends. If you wonder, you can ask. And he will answer. And he'll direct you. So that in any given situation you will know exactly what is God's will and God's plan for you to do right there. You don't have to wonder. You can ask. You don't have to worry. You can obey. And you can do what God wants you to do. Sometimes... We face situations and we don't really know what is the best thing to do in that situation. We see several alternatives. It's like we're on a journey and have come to the crossroads and we don't know which road to take. He does. Because from his vantage point, he can see that one road leads to a chasm and one road leads to a swamp and one road leads to blessing you want to go that way <laughs> that's the way that you want to go you want to go the way that go leads to blessing and so if you can get high enough up you can look down and see where where the different roads go that's one reason why people like climbing mountains because they can look down and they can see where all the roads in the valley go. But if you're down there in the valley, surrounded by trees and overshadowed by everything, you don't know which way to go. But he does. Because from his vantage point, he can see everything. He can see the end of every road. And he knows. He can give you the direction that you need in any given situation. He also intercedes for us. Did you know whatever you're going through, there's somebody praying for you? But nobody down here knows what I'm going through. <laughs> there's one up there who does. He knows exactly what you're going through. And he is praying for you. Verse 26 of chapter 8. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. There's been many a time when I have wanted to pray, but I hadn't a clue what to pray for and what to pray about. I just thought, Lord, what am I supposed to pray about? And sometimes, even if I do pray, I start saying the words, God suddenly interjects a thought into my head. Have you ever been praying and you suddenly start praying for someone else that you hadn't imagined, you hadn't even thought about? And suddenly you say, why? Why him? Why her? 
I wasn't thinking about them. But God says, I know, but I am. And I want you to join me in prayer. Because where two or three agree together, it shall be done. I'm praying. Will you join me? And suddenly we find ourselves standing shoulder to shoulder with Almighty God praying through for some situation. And afterwards, we discover, wow, I didn't know anything about that happening. And now, well, I hear of the answer. And I think, to think that God let me be part of that. And he does. Oh, he certainly does. He knows exactly what will encourage you. Have you ever been praying? And then suddenly you get a phone call from the person that you were praying for? Happened to us recently. And they said, I have a special prayer request. Will you pray for me? We just were. Only two minutes ago, we were praying for you. Oh, how did you know? We know how we knew. He knew. <laughs> and he can direct every prayer in the right way. Because he is constantly interceding on your behalf. Interesting word, interceding. Standing in between. Standing in the middle. He's interrupting our life's course. Saying, I got something to say. And I've got something to do to direct your life in the right way. These next two points, I think I ought to have reversed them in a another order because God does empower us by miracles chapter 15 and verse 19 especially directs us in that respect God can intervene by virtue of a miracle in our lives 15 and verse 19 Well, we'll start actually at verse 18. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I've said and done. How? By the power of signs and miracles. How? Through the power of the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who makes miracles happen miraculous answers to prayer on your behalf on behalf of others it's the holy spirit who's doing it without the holy spirit those miracles would never happen you got to see the doctor and he says oh i'm sorry there's nothing i can do for you or well I'll prescribe this medicine and maybe it'll work, or, but it may have some side effects and you may not like the side effects. And by the time it's finished, you think, hey, why am I taking that? That's like jump, jumping into a swamp in order to learn how to swim. No, no, I, I don't want to take that medicine. <laughs> but God, God knows exactly what to do in a given situation. And sometimes we're go, we get ourselves into a situation and suddenly everything begins to fall into place. His place. The right place. The place that he has decided and determined for it because he works miracles. He can work miracles for you and for me in ways that we never ever could imagine. He is the one who makes those miracles happen. It's not human nature. It's not human you know, determination. It's not thinking it through or projecting your thoughts or uh, in some way molding things. 
No, it's the Holy Spirit who's preparing the way and working for us because he, according to Romans 8.23, is the foreshadowing of the future. He knows exactly what he wants to do in your life and in the future for you. Romans 8.23. Not only so, but we ourselves have the first fruits of the who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. Do you know you've got a foretaste of heaven already? And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you feel that quickening inside and you feel that enlightening, yes, I can think. I can plan, I can decide, I can do. God says, now you know what it's going to be like for all eternity, for you as a child of God. That's what it's going to be like every moment of every day. And it's one long day. Every moment throughout eternity, the Holy Spirit is going to be, en be enabling you and me to do exactly what God wants us to do and what our inmost being desires to do because we want to be where God wants us to be, doing what God wants us to do. He foreshadows the future. He gives us a foretaste you know, it's wonderful to have an appetizer just before a meal. It really gets your taste buds going, doesn't it? A nice little foretaste of what the meal is going to be. And that's what an appetizer is supposed to be. It's supposed to be a foretaste of what's in the meal. I know some, in some areas it's become fashionable to do something totally different in the, in the appetizer. And so instead of calling it an appetizer, they call it horse's hooves. Hors d'oeuvres. When I was a, a, a child, we used to see that H-O-R-S-D and then the rest of it. And we used to think, horse's hooves? Why do you want to chew on a horse's hoof? I don't want to chew on horse's hooves. And then, as I grew up and went to school and learned things, I found out, oh, it's hors d'oeuvres, it's French. It's a foretaste. Well, I prefer the English version, the appetizer, because it gets your appetite going and makes you want to eat more and more and more. Yes. That's what the Holy Spirit provides us right here and now. He provides us a foretaste of what eternity is going to be like. And once you've had that, all the temptations in the world are not going to make you turn around and go back. All the testings that you go through are just along the way to inspire us and impel us in the direction that God wants us to go. You see, according to Romans 15 and verse 13, it's the Holy Spirit who provides for us hope for the future. This is Paul's prayer. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, we need that hope. That's what's going to carry us through. That's what's going to enable us to endure. That's what's going to enable us to be victorious. That's what's going to enable us day by day in every situation to come out on top. Because 
we overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Whether it is hope for victory in a moment, in a week, in a lifetime, or in eternity, we've got a hope. And that hope impels us and directs us and draws us in the way that God has planned. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. Thank God that we're not limited by the flesh, but we have the Spirit of God working in us, working through us, and it is the Holy Spirit who makes us aware of our Lord Jesus Christ, who we're going to focus our attention on next week when we meet together. We're going to look at what Paul says in Romans about the Lord Jesus and how that's intended and indeed does encourage us in our walk with the Lord. Yes, there's going to be a great revelation next week because the Holy Spirit is going to make the Word of God live for each one of us. If you would like a copy of our newsletter, we have some copies around. Uh, I don't know if my wife has them all, has them all there, but it, the, it tells of what lies ahead for us. And it's the Holy Spirit who's putting it all together. He's the one who has the ideas and he's the one who's going to bring it to fruition.